NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org slash connected or call 1-800-460-460. 6276. Good afternoon and welcome to the NASM Master Instructor Roundtable Live. I'm here as always with Wendy Batts and Marty Miller. How are you all doing this afternoon? So good. Excellent. Thank you, Prentice. <laughs> All right, great. And as and also, we have behind the scenes Greg uh, keeping Greg Esposito keeping things together, making sure this is a well-oiled machine. And I'm sure he is uh, saluting us right now somewhere in the interwebs. So today we are going to talk about the uh, TechNEC, and this was written by the an NASM power couple. Now, some of you in <laughs> entertainment may know, you may know of Benifer, but I doubt that many of you know Tondi Rats. Tondi Rats, our NASM power couple. This was written by uh, Tony Ambler Wright and repurposed for us today by his wife, his better half, Wendy. So, uh, Wendy, let's talk a little bit about TexNEC, what it is, and how we as trainers can help combat this uh this postural anomaly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's basically what we're going to cover in this webinar. We had, Marty and I had received a lot of feedback on, you know, some different topics and this kept coming up. Like, can you go into more details about TechNEC? What causes it? What are some of the major issues um, that, uh, you know, that are going to keep making TechNEC even more of a, a bigger deal? And then what are the muscles that are involved in it? What are things to consider? How do we assess for that? And then, of course, how do we we fix it? And so that's basically what we're going to cover and talk about today. Um, and so I'm super excited about this, and and you know grateful for the for the content that was given to us because I think it's going to make for a really good webinar. Okay, yeah, thanks for that. And as always, those of you who are uh, out there listening to us today, first of all, thank you for coming and. If you have questions, you can go ahead and put them in the uh, comment section and Greg will be sure to make sure, Greg will make sure that we see those questions and we could, uh, then we can answer those for you. Uh, a little redundancy today, but uh, <laughs> yeah. let's talk a little bit about what uh, what is text, text neck, tech neck, and what is going on in our uh, upper extremities. I guess you could technically call it tech neck as well, but um, you know we wanted to define it. And so, if you were to define what tech neck is, it's the anterior head carriage and hyperkyphosis resulting from prolonged interaction and uses of technology devices. Which, again, with the situation that we're in with COVID and everything, we're seeing all these numbers continuously go up. 
And one of the images that we found, I mean, if you look at it and you think about where ideal and optimal alignment is, and we think about being in a neutral position and why we focus so much on the five kinetic chain checkpoints, as people continuously do things over and over, that becomes the new norm. And that's how compensations occur, which is what we've talked about for many, many weeks now. And so you can see like over time, how much weight, additional weight and pressure is put on, not just the cervical spine, but also in the thoracic spine as well. And so that's one of the, the key points that we wanted to, to, to really um, point out on this slide. Like you, you think about these different degrees right here and the amount of weight. And if you're doing that for multiple hours of day, and then you're wondering why you have low back or upper back pain and neck pain and you know why you've got headaches. A lot of it is just basically by being on the phone, being on the computer and, and being at home. And uh, just, to, just to be clear, because I don't, uh, we, we're definitely in a generation where we have smart tablets and, and smart devices, but also this, this could be any device in which you're consuming information. The good old fashioned book that's been around for millennia <laughs> can give you that neck. If you spend time with your, your body, your, your cervical spine inflection, combination of flexion in the lower spine, little kyphosis, uh, you can develop that as well just from reading books or whatever you do in your day-to-day -day activities. So it, it's, it's uh, more pervasive than just the electronics. <laughs> yes, but obviously with electronics, we are seeing yeah. more and more numbers on the rise for sure. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll blame we'll blame social media for now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what are so so speaking of this? So what are some things? What are some key muscles? Some key muscles? Some key compensations uh, that we'll notice when we see our clients come in with the tech neck. Sure. So if we actually go to the next slide, we wanted to kind of list the muscles that are involved. And so again, this is going to be when we get into the assessments, and I know Marty's going to help dig into that. Um, we wanted just to say, okay, when you're talking and thinking about technique and the muscles that when you're getting into, like you said, cervical flexion, you're getting into hyperkyphosis, like what are the, the muscles that are going to be overactive, which means causing those compensations? And again, what muscles are allowing those compensations so would be underactive. And so if you kind of put it all together, these are the primary muscles that you're gonna focus on. And then through the assessments that we're gonna talk about, you're gonna identify out of these muscles, which ones are overactive and which ones are underactive. And then how do we obviously build a program to help correct any compensations noted? Okay, thanks. And then first question. So this is, this is obviously a complex compensation, uh, just based on some of the muscles you have uh, listed there, we may notice uh, just posturally something like uh, kyphosis, thoracic kyphosis. Now, when we get into the cervical spine, and Marty, I'm going to kick this question to you, uh, just based on our pre-webinar uh, pre meeting, uh, we may notice, <laughs> we may notice in the lower portion of the uh, cervical spine, let's say C3 downward, we're going to experience flexion. But I noticed that on the previous slide, and we don't have to go back there, but on the previous slide, you uh, you mentioned anterior head carriage, and there's a little, there's a slight extension going on up here between the mastoid and the upper, upper cervical vertebrae. So can you talk us through uh, those compensations and help us understand what muscles are involved in, in each of those areas. 
Yeah. So just because we're talking about the cervical spine, let's not, you know, let's take a 40,000 foot view first. It's a more complex part of the body that a lot of personal trainers and fitness professionals may not really focus on. It's part of the core. We've always said that the core is if we chop our arms and legs off. So it's very important. And we go 360 degrees around the body. It's very important not to neglect this area. And, you know, one of the things is just watching what we do every single day. So hence why I have a stand up desk. It helps me get in a better position. So again, as I like to say, somehow every week I bring this in that accidental exercise. If I can get myself in better posture, some of these things will correct or auto correct themselves just by not forcing extra time in bad position. But even though we're calling this tech neck, you're going to see a lot of people in the weight room. And we'll talk about this later. They put themselves in that position when they're bench pressing, doing rowing exercises. So this is why we really want to address this. So when you look at the cervical spine, yes, there's a little more complexity to it, but it's going to follow the same flow that we do for any other movement dysfunction that we want to identify the overactive muscles. Now, we're not going to suggest that you do a lot of deep tissue work, foam rolling when you're dealing with the cervical spine, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do our static stretching. And then we'll find ways to activate the muscles that are weak. And then by integration, we'll show some of those exercises. You're going to do the same protocols that you would with, you know, our other body parts that you may feel more comfortable with. So you can see a lot of the muscles listed here. And this is where we have to be careful with the exercises we choose as well. Do we want to do shrugs? Do we want to do crunches and bring people back into this position? So a lot of the muscles that you feel the tension in is like your levator scapula tells you exactly what you're doing here, you know, and things like that. But what you're talking about, Prentice, is that forward head extension, even though they're flexed. So at the last part, they really kind of shoot their head forward. And part of that could be simply just to keep their eyes on the horizon, because we know that everyone's going to have to want to try to keep their eyes out in front of them so they can look. So even though they've brought themselves into this flex position, they are going to raise their chin up to keep their eyes out in front because most people don't want to shuffle and be looking directly down at their feet. And as Wendy said so well, that if you do this for prolonged periods of time, this is going to be how your body adapts. And, you know, we've all probably had some type of neck pain. You wake up, you know, slept on your neck wrong, et cetera. But due to the society we live in and even ironically, the cars we drive, they create that forward head position to prevent whiplash. So, so many people are in these positions for such long periods of time that we really all should have some type of, you know, protocol for our clients with the neck. Yes, absolutely. And even even right down to certain uh, sports facilitate mm -hmm. this posture. Uh, I, you, know, you and I both are martial artists. And for you uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu players out there uh, playing in the guard and uh, sometimes playing in certain bottom positions, uh, playing in some of those bottom positions do help facilitate that forward tech neck sort of posture. Yep. So excellent. So now we have, so let's talk about, uh, uh, let's talk about some of the assessments that we'll do to help identify the exact muscles we need to work on for our uh, corrective exercise process. 
Absolutely. So again, there's multiple different uh, assessments that you can do, and these are pulled directly from our new CES text uh, or, you know, uh, CES uh, specialization. Goodness, I cannot talk today. Um, and so if you're thinking about really, um, it's, it's more, as you guys just said, it's more than just the neck. Your shoulders are going to definitely be involved, and that could be a lot of the primary causes of what's leading to the issues in the neck. And so if you have someone do um, some of the assessments such as shoulder flexion. And we are showing you guys when they're in a supine position, but this could also be done standing. And so obviously if it's laying down, it's gonna be more passive. If they're standing, it's gonna be more active. However, you're going to see, do they get the full available range of motion? And for example, if you're doing the shoulder flexion test, what you would end up doing if you were standing is you would put your heels, your glutes, your back and your head up against the wall. And all you're trying to do is lift one arm directly overhead with no bend in the elbow. And at that time is can they get their arm straight up without causing an anterior pelvic tilt or any kind of curve in the back? And if they can, then they probably have full range of motion without using a goni. Or if they can't, you know a compensation exists and you would mark that down. And the same thing with shoulder rotation, you're going to either stand or, or in a, and again, supine position, internal, external rotation. You know, do they hit the right range of motion just based on a visual, you know, the way that you're visually looking at it? Or if you have a goni and you want to take the measurements, do they, they become an ideal alignment? And the same thing with shoulder abduction, again, standing or lying, and as well as thoracic extension. So they're coming back. How far can they extend and how far can they rotate to each side? So it's kind of a pass fail, but it's going to give you additional information on top of the the um, the typical uh, overhead squat assessment. And everything these were just going to be a little bit more detailed as to what's what's really restricted when you're doing the actual mobility assessments for just the shoulder. Yeah. So just talking about your your mobility assessments, you threw a lot out there. <laughs> I always so, do. <laughs> uh, can you tell us? Just, uh, just so that everyone on the other side is clear of what you're talking about. What is your goni, and uh, how are you going to use that? <laughs> Blank. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mario. What? No, Prentice asked you about the goni because I know I know what you mean by that, but it's a lot of people. Well, I usually have one in here, and I actually just took it out because I had it in my bag. I use it every time I go to the gym, but it's basically a, like a human protractor. And so, you know, you have optimal ranges of motion. And so, what you're trying to do is you're trying to see as you have someone go through different motions, depending on the joint that you're measuring, is do they have optimal alignment? And so, you know, again, you know, can they go down into a certain degree? And if they're not at optimal, where are they and how restricted are they at that joint? And so, again, you're looking at more transitional and dynamic movements when you're doing stuff like the, the overhead, you know, squat or you're doing different types of movements that way. But what happens is if you're just looking particular at that joint, um, if they're restricted, you know, where are the compensations and how restricted are they? And th I think um, what Prentice and I are getting out to, it's officially called the goniometer, if you're good oh, okay. looking for it. It's <laughs> an easy answer, too. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Because I, like I said, we were talking last night on another webinar. I could fill in the blank for you, so I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> but people might be like, I'm trying to Google goni, and I can't find it. So. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <laughs> oh, good. Human protractor for your joints. Yes. There you go. <laughs> goniometer. Yes. So. Yes. I apologize for those of you who were searching and came up with some <laughs> weird pastry or, or something like that. The official name is, in fact, uh, the goniometer. Okay. <laughs> so now let's talk about uh, 
let's talk about the uh, cervical uh, mobility assessments and, and what you're looking for there. First, tell us how you set them up, uh, what you're looking for, and uh, how we can use that to inform our uh, training. Sure, Marty, you want to do this one? Sure. So the key thing here, you see it in a position. I like seated because I can get the hips and pelvis station, you know, locked in because a lot of people will start to do range of motion of the neck. And the reason why Wendy just went through the shoulder complex is these areas are, you know, connected. The muscles attach onto the scapula and the clavicle. So you're not really going to isolate one without possibly seeing a compensation the other. So if we have them seated, that's how I like to do it. Now I can get a better consistent result than them maybe swaying at the pelvis to try to pick up range of motion. So the first one you see there, if we look at it from the top left, you're just looking back to see if you can get over, um, look at the ceiling. So that way you can see that into extension. Then you're tucking the chin in the top right for flexion. And then the bottom left, as you look at the slide here, I kind of call it the windshield wiper. Now you will see people's heads rotate and this picture is not gonna quite show it, but we're trying to move just in the frontal plane and try to get to about 45 degrees in that frontal plane for lateral flexion. And then we have rotation where you're really trying to get no motion from the shoulders and spine, the thoracic spine. Look over the opposite shoulders, see if you can get your chin over your AC joint for that cervical rotation. So those are four easy ones to look at. And don't be surprised if they're tight in many of them. And you might even see some deviation where they have more range of motion on one side or the other. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, one question for you, uh, Marty. And I know I'll get, I'm asking this because I, I have a feeling I'm going to get this question later. Uh, you, there aren't any specific thoracic mobility, uh, thoracic mobility assessments in here. Uh, was there a reason for that? We were kind of focusing more on the cervical, but if, again, we do a total body approach. So this would be, if you watch, you know, Tony, myself, Wendy, when we're doing this, we're not going to just isolate uh, an mm -hmm. area of the body. Even if they come in with shoulder dysfunction, we're still going to look at the total body. So we wanted to make sure within the hour we focus on the two primary, which would be the shoulder and the neck. And the, of course, the thoracic spine is very important. Uh, a lot of people don't have mobility in their thoracic spine, so they try to pick up motion elsewhere. If you don't have mobility in your thoracic spine, you can have other issues. So Yes, definitely take a full body approach. Even if somebody is saying, hey, my neck is stiff, look at the thoracic, look at the shoulder, look at lumbopelvic hip complex. It is an entire kinetic chain for sure. And another thing too, is if they do have hyperkyphosis, so that means just that their their lower back, because you have normal, you're supposed to have a little bit of obviously, you know, an arch or a, a bend. But if it's so extreme, when you even have someone lie down or you're trying, again, if doing the shoulder, you're trying to get their back lined up with their head against the wall, sometimes people can't even do that because they just don't mm -hmm. have that range of motion or extensibility to get their, get their head backwards. And so oftentimes what they end up doing is having to look up to try to get their head to touch the wall. So again, all of that stuff is what you want to mark down when you're doing an assessment, not just purely just the range of motion. Um, but you know, what's happening. And as Marty says, like it's, it's really all inclusive because it's just more, these mobility ones again, are just confirming what you saw in the overhead and any of the other trends, you know, the, any other uh, assessments that you did in the very beginning. Absolutely. So now let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about those impairments, uh, specific impairments, and uh, dive into some of the key culprits. What's short? 
hyperactive, what's uh, hypoactive, uh, underactive. Uh, can we go through those, uh, Wendy? Sure. So again, these are just common postural deviations. It doesn't mean that that's all of them. I mean, this is a very short list. But, you know, again, what's happening if you have an increased forward head angle? So again, what we've kind of been talking about, again, the muscles that are overactive versus the muscles that are underactive. And as we said multiple times, when we say shortened muscles, those are the muscles you want to elongate to try to help with, you know, alleviate that compensation. And then the muscles that are lengthened are usually the weaker ones that you want to learn to activate to help fix and correct those issues as well. And so, you know, we've got, that was one example of the increased forward shoulder angle again. And, you know, when you've got forward shoulders, one of the shortened muscles that is a major one is the pec minor and the middle to lower traps are allowing those. When you're talking about increased upward rotation angle, we're looking at this, at this, you know, the scapula as well as, as the shoulders, but we're mainly looking at the upper trap being overactive and the lower trap being underactive. And then of course, what's happening at the, at, at the, the scapula itself, meaning is, the, is there any kind of anterior tilt to the scapula, like where it's tilting forward and what's causing that? Again, it would be pec minor as well as lower trap. So you can also see when you're looking at this, there are some commonalities that you're seeing on both sides. So, you know, again, when people are like, how am I supposed to fit all of this into a one hour workout? If you look at what are the major culprits just on this, as well as the other information that you're getting, you're going to see that there are a lot of things that you want to focus on strengthening. Mid to lower trap seems to be the biggest one here. Um, and then again, what do you want to work on on trying to get more length into, which would be pec minor, as well as, I mean, obviously your neck muscles, but um, as well as getting some of the upper trap as well. Yeah, and, and uh, Prince Beckinjamin, when I think you make a great point, and people can get overwhelmed with like, well, I can't fix everything. They just want to get a great workout in. Most people that have had any type of restriction in their neck, they're more than willing to do this type of stuff at work throughout the day. These are very mm -hmm. easy things. Just like, again, I could get a stand up desk, and if I'm aware of my posture, I'm fixing it even indirectly throughout the day because I'm not in those positions. So, you know, definitely don't just kind of blow past this. And then again, if we're doing planks properly, we'll talk about this, all these other exercises. If you're always cueing what needs to be done at the cervical spine, just like you would any other body part, you're going to be getting a lot of this in. But this is definitely for me, when I gave this out, people were thrilled to have a program they could do at their desk multiple times a day because they would feel that tension because not everyone is their work environment, not everyone you know, we can change and, and not have to sit for eight to 10 hours a day. So, you know, we find huge success with giving them their homework, especially on something like this, because they just feel better. Yeah. yeah. And I think, Marty, you bring up another excellent point. Uh, uh, we do have that, uh, you know, we do have that perception with some of our fitness professionals of saying, hey, how can I fit all of this in? And these ex we have to change our perception of what exercise is and how it can be implemented. And you can certainly give them homework and cue this throughout the day because that actually that behavior is going to be as valuable as spending two or three hours with you a week. It's what they do in the, the other hundred hours that you aren't around that, that have just as much impact into their overall health and wellness. So now let's go ahead and Talk us through, let's take these, uh, take these muscles and talk us through the continuum. What are we doing at each step, at each phase of our corrective exercise continuum? Uh, Marty, why don't you tell us about that? 
Sure. So it's the same CES continuum that you would use for the rest of the body, clearly. And, you know, it's great that we have myself, but then obviously Wendy, who's a massage, licensed massage therapist and apprentice as a chiropractor, we can talk about really the anatomy of the neck as far as, you know, being safe. So we're really not going to overemphasize the inhibition on a lot of these muscles. Yes, you can inhibit the upper trap, things like that, you know, using a very soft uh, massage ball leaning up against the wall. So again, we're going to show the continuum. But this is where I loved having a manual therapist around. So in my practice, when I was training, had a lot of clients, I would do a little bit of the inhibit, maybe upper trap, get through the, you know, the upper, uh, upper part of the thoracic spine as well, where some of those muscles sit. But I would always refer out to a massage therapist and say, hey, if we really want to correct this, I need you to get a massage maybe once a week, once every other week, because somebody can get really in there and really work on those muscles that are overactive at this point. Then if they know how to follow up with the right part, which we'll show next, now they can get that done and see significant results. So let's just be clear that we're not going to be able to inhibit the entire cervical spine area. But the lengthening, static stretching, same techniques as far as the science. We're going to hold those stretches up to 30 seconds, maybe a little longer, making sure that when you get those muscles there, you know, restore that normal length. Then we can activate those really tiny little muscles that flex the neck postural things. We'll show some examples of like, you know, wall presses or when you're doing a bridge, a lot of times, even before I do my bridge in my core part, I do some chin retractions, making sure I'm getting that going. And then integration could be something simply just by like a plank or you step up to balance, just keeping my head in alignment the entire time that I'm exercising. So we're just really want to focus on how important the cervical spine is. It's an important part of your core. And most people that you're going to train are going to have some type of lack of range motion or ideal motion and some type of movement compensation in that cervical spine. Yeah. And, uh, and, and speaking of my uh, chiropractic background, uh, this is where we can almost, almost bend the rules a little bit. And, and when we're talking about, when we're talking about inhibition, I've allowed my, my clients and in, even in the past patients, when we're working on the suboccipitals, and we're doing chin, uh, chin kind of retraction exercises. I teach them to give themselves a little pressure to cue that movement. Now, this is the same as this is the same as your fingers are just as good as a lacrosse ball. You don't need any. Uh, you don't need a lot of pressure to activate that mechanism, and that can help inhibit those those tight muscles in the suboccipital provided that you don't take your thumb and drive a spike into your brachial plexus where you have all these nerves and all this vasculature here, uh, you can get away with light pressure and cueing some of the exercises that you would normally teach for the other steps in this continuum. And I, I wanted to, to throw out there again, um, you know, two of the areas that we tell people to be very careful about when you're using a foam roller is obviously the cervical spine as well as the lumbar spine because of the bony processes. Plus, there's automatically more of a curve that we're trying to alleviate. So, so you know, people have often asked me, which is a little, um, I just want to point this out, like, how do I foam roll my SCM or how do I, you know, and, and 
in those areas, you, you really can't do that, you know, with a foam roller. Now they do have the, you know, percussion guns. So by different companies where you could do some light, um, you know, some, as long as you know how to do that, you know, where you're going, or you could also get two tennis balls and put it in a sock and spread them apart mm -hmm. and just don't go on the actual spine itself. So there are some other ways that you can go about doing it or teaching your client. But to your point, Prentice, you want to be really careful about the pressure because you don't want to just put your entire body weight on some of these very small, very, um, you know, delicate muscles that are causing a lot of these, this pain and compensation as well. So just wanted to throw that out there. I don't see any of you guys really wanting to, to use a roller somewhere, but, right. but yeah, so don't do that. <laughs> it's all fun and games until you traction one of those uh, roots in the brachial plexus. Yes. And then when you, when you get a stinger, that's, uh, that's new pain. So you mm -hmm. want to be careful about how you apply pressure in, in sure. those areas. So let's take this compensation by compensation now and uh, talk through, uh, let's just talk through some sample programs for each of these impairments that you uh, outlined in the beginning. So let's go ahead and start with that forward head. Well, sure. And, and again, a lot of these can be integrated. So we're going to show you two separate programs, one more for forward head and one more for shoulders. But again, you can kind of choose which ones and you're going to see that there can be a lot of combination um, into what we're going to discuss. But of course, you want to inhibit or foam roll or find a way to release um, the muscles that you can get to easily, um, as well as lengthen the muscles that have shown to be overactive. So in the other chart that we discussed, you're going to see the levator scap being, you know, overactive, the upper trap, um, the sternocleidomastoid, so your SCM, your pec minor, as well as your thoracic spine, because again, they're in this position. So, so you'll have to choose which ones are better to lengthen, meaning going through and doing a static stretch, which would be such, such as your SCM, but then laying on a foam roller for your thoracic spine and really working on some thoracic extension. Um, it feels amazing. People get a lot of relief out of it. And, um, and, and again, there's just a lot of um, carryover to these compensations that are going to make your client feel good, even after just doing those things without anything else. Um, so Marty, before I move on to anything, do you want to add to, to that? No, I, I just think that this is something that I put in my program every single day. Mm -hmm. You know, as I wake up, you know, again, I'm pretty good with my posture throughout the day, but I guarantee you when I'm sleeping, you know, my head's forward, I'm curled up. So you know, just trying to, to fight, uh, you know, gravity. Um, this is something I do almost this entire program every morning, just as part of my routine, because I don't have neck problems, knock on wood, and I don't want them. <laughs> you know, we've, all, we've all had that wake up and you're like, oh my God, what did I sleep on type of thing. So, you know, this is something I do in every single day. Yeah. Sorry. We have a visitor. <laughs> right. Hello, Mr. Braden. <laughs> Welcome. I've been <laughs> on the show for so long. I'm glad we can make it today. Hopefully we have time to get you on at the end. Um, yes. <laughs> Uh, yes. And then, of course, after we go through, um, we're just following the continuum. So again, what mu muscles are overactive? Um, we want to think about the muscles that are allowing those compensations. And so your deep cervical flexors are going to be underactive. And so we want to get those activated as soon as we got the other muscles released. And so one of the ones that I really like to do is when you're laying supine, so you're laying on your back, 
you do a chin tuck and then you slightly curl your head forward and then relax and then continue working those muscles. And again, we're not going into a forward head. There's a difference between going into just actually going into a curl versus going into flexion. And so um, we want to strengthen those muscles as well. Um, and so that's that's one of the reasons we have that one as an example. And then when you, um, if you have a super band or a band, you can put it behind your head and go into banded cervical retraction standing. So you don't have to have it like anchored to something. You can just hold on to each side and do that. Or if somebody doesn't have time, and like Marty says, he does this throughout the day, what you could also do is if somebody spends a lot of time in their car and they're driving is to go into putting their head back onto the headrest. And unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of cars are pushing their headrest in a forward position. So you want to, you know, I actually, my car did that. So I turned it backwards. So therefore, I actually have more weight to go into retraction. But while they're driving, can they keep their head up against the back of the seat, you know, their headrest? And it is amazing how many people say, I didn't realize how hard that was and how forward I am when I'm even just driving. And so I think a lot of it is being aware and letting your clients know there are certain things that even out of the gym they can do. But on an activation standpoint, those are definitely two of my favorite. Yeah, I do the Detroit lean when I drive. So I have a whole other set of issues. But <laughs> one thing that I wanted to point out is when we're if you're worried about inhibition and lengthening, that deep cervical flexor exercise is amazing. Because if you go back to your CPT text, we have this principle called reciprocal inhibition. So training and cueing those neck those neck flexors like you just described in that uh, activation step, they're gonna stretch out these, mm -hmm. these areas that we may not be able to get to with so-called traditional stretching. So there's, if you follow the continuum, you will, you will get all of, the, all of the overactive, underactive muscles addressed. Yes. And then, of course, we go into integration and integration, again, is like putting it all together. So these are these are, again, some of our favorites. Marty and I were talking about these in a prone cobra. I mean, think about the chin retraction that you have to have, because, again, think about the nasty floor. You don't want your face touching that. So coming into retraction, trying to keep the five kinetic chain checkpoints. So going into triple extension, drawing in, squeezing the glutes having your hands touch the ground and then going into external rotation when you're doing the exercise, um, that's gonna open up obviously the pecs that we have also shown to be overactive. And then you're trying to get your mid to lower trap to fire as well as the rhomboids. So, so some of those exercises, again, they play dual roles in activating and stretching, um, as you just said, in, like in multiple ways. And so same thing when you're doing pushing, pressing, total body patterns. And, and Marty, I know you wanted to add some stuff to that, but, but just think of the best ones, get more bang for your buck. Yeah. I mean, for me, every exercise you do should be in theory, an integration exercise for tech neck, because it, you know, I'm not going to encourage my head shooting forward, even when I'm doing crunches. My, that, that's not where the motion's coming from. The motion's coming from my thoracic spine. My chin should still be tucked as I'm coming up. So mm -hmm. I try to, in a theory, I mean, we listed some great ones, but no matter what, if I'm doing a push-up, push-up with rotation, doesn't even a lunge, my head should always be in its right position. And that's how we get, you know, that consistency. And then the body, that becomes the norm. So I was in the gym this morning and you know i always kind of focus on the topic that we're talking about and i was like oh just watching people 
you know, purposely shoot their head forward with load above their, you know, doing presses and all these things. And it's just, you know, I feel bad because they don't have this knowledge and understanding, but there is a price to pay at some point when you do that repetitively. Mm-hmm. Under and, yeah. And I think one thing that, that both of you brought up repeatedly uh, over these webinars we've do, we've done over the last few months is you have to, you have to use the intensity the range of motion that you can control. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that that intensity or weight amount of weight lifted, the speed or if your fatigue becomes a factor to the, to an extent that it pulls you into an obvious compensation, then that's your that's your barrier. That lets you know you're doing too much and you need to you need to dial it back a little bit so that you can maintain that alignment. And just to throw that this out there too, Princess. I mean, oftentimes I hear, well, when I when my clients do a crunch and I have them do a crunch on the ball, they feel a lot of pain in their neck, or they they have to put their hands behind their head in order to maintain proper alignment because it hurts their neck too much. Well, that's another sign that maybe they're not ready for phase two, and that's why we do so many like little to no joint motion of the spine where the cervical spine is included because these muscles often get neglected. And if you spend four to six weeks and build the proper adaptations and and get into proper alignment, when they do go into phases two, three, and four, they're ready and their neck is ready, their spine is ready for the actual rotation, you know, flexion and extension of or rotation of whatever movement you're going to have that client progress to. Mm-hmm. Outstanding, outstanding. So now let's talk about let's talk about rounded shoulders. Yes. So again, rounded shoulders, and and these are just some of of um, you know some of the overactive muscles that you're going to notice. But again, you're going to see the levator scapula. Shocker. Okay, we just saw that in the other one. So again, like I said, there's a lot of carryover for a lot of these technique compensations. Upper trap again. Pec minor, all of those were included. And then now you've got the lats. And again, we're looking at the thoracic spine mobility. So so there, you can see there's not a lot of change. And, and that's why when people are like, oh, but if I do this for the neck, I, I, I won't have time to do it for the shoulders. Well, as you can see, you do because they're pretty much the same. And, um, you know, and when, again, when you're activating, you're going to try to activate the muscles that, that are causing those, com- or uh, I'm sorry, allowing those compensations. So again, mid to lower trap. So could you have done the Cobra here? You absolutely could have, but for something different, doing a prone abduction and scatching like a combo one, I think is fantastic. And so you're just, again, now working more of the shoulder complex as well as when you're in a prone position, still having to think about retracting your chin, maintaining proper alignment, still looking at, you know, even the lower body, if you're on a ball, um, you know, you're, you're going into triple extension. So you know, again, we're trying to give you, you know, ideas of things to think about, but um, it's it's a fantastic exercise to include, as well as anything like banded, um, you know, you could do banded shoulder external rotation if you wanted. But one of the ones that Marty and I talked about that we like is if you're putting your hands either on the ground, so you can still be in a prone position having to maintain that alignment. But if someone's not strong enough to, to maintain and hold that position, just do it up against a wall 
Um, so therefore gravity is not pulling you into that place or even do it on an incline. So something that's not completely on the floor, not completely upright, and then putting like just a mini band around your arms and going into a clock pattern. So you're moving in different positions. Um, there's multiple things happening and you're training the shoulder girdle and your cervical spine and well, basically your entire spine, how to maintain proper alignment, get proper activation to help minimize the compensations that you see. Yeah. And Wendy, what I would say is rarely do I not find both of these together, even though we broke right. them apart. I can't think the last time I had someone just with rounded shoulders, but perfect, you know, perfect, perfect, perfect <laughs> in their cervical spine. And if they really have that forward head, I, it's almost impossible for their shoulders not to come forward. So don't be shocked, guys, if you see every, almost now that you're looking for it to different levels that they have both of these. But the beauty is, as Wendy said, you start cleaning up one you're almost going to clean up the other one with maybe just a little bit extra, a little work on the side. Mm -hmm. And even though it's out of scope for this particular webinar, that, that goes into the principle of regional interdependence. So there will be, if there is something going on specifically at a segment, you better believe that it's affecting something. It's affecting a movement pattern, both above and below that area. So, for those of us who feel that we don't have enough time, if you do one, you're if you do one of these programs, you're probably affecting the other. And yeah. who knows if you follow one program, it may clean something up. Well, you know what's funny is I don't I may not say it exactly the way I've heard it said before, but it's one of those things where if you don't have the time before injury, you're going to be forced to make the time once you're injured. So, you know you're not going to live in the fitness world too long and try to exercise with these movement compensations before you're going to start to feel it a little bit. So you might as well get ahead of it and, you know, get your hands around this before it becomes a chronic problem. Because once you get the, you know, apprentice, we can talk about the guys who try to bench press and all of a sudden their shoulder hurts and this, that, the other part of it is what's going on in their cervical spine. And, you know, mm -hmm. they keep, you know, they, they bench, then their shoulder hurts. They stop benching for three to four weeks. They take some time off, the inflammation goes away, they come back, start benching again. It's like, what's the definition of insanity? So we might as well get this in there, little bits and pieces, get people used to doing it because you there is a price to pay when your head and neck and shoulder girl and all that are not functioning well, especially if you're trying to be active. And, and that kind of to bring up another point, Marty, why you said that when you're talking about in the gym. And again, you kind of hit on this earlier, but, you know, you've got the pelvoocular reflex as well. And so that's why we really do emphasize so much on the five kinetic chain checkpoints, because soon as you go up and you start, you know, focusing and if you, let's say you have a bar on your back and you start to go up. We've talked about this before, but you're going to have put your hips into an anterior rotated position to counterbalance your head and looking up in that position. And so what are you doing? You're also feeding mm -hmm. into another compensation, um, you know, that's going to lead to, again, the compression on the discs and everything in the cervical spine, as well as in the lumbar spine. And um, especially mm -hmm. with the bar that's loaded, there are certain, you know, there's a ton of different injuries and it's a rippling effect. And so, um, so again, that's why training, you know, training in phase one, looking at the corrective exercise continuum and combining the two, you are really, really going to help someone no matter what kind of pain they come into, but especially yep. with the tech neck issues and, and seeing these numbers on the rise, as well as the obesity numbers on the rise right now, I think, uh, I think this could be something that can truly help anybody that comes in right now. Okay. So this is this is all really good. So I know both of you've touched on this earlier. And what I'm getting to is 
what do we do when we're not in the gym? Because you know, we could do all we could do all this program, but if we don't change our behaviors with how we're using our devices, this mm -hmm. isn't going. I mean, it's like getting ready for a body composition contest and slamming funnel cake for three meals. You may not be able to do that. You won't be as successful. So what can we do with our tech and even our books to yeah. uh, make all of this stuff beneficial? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I had mentioned at the very beginning is I invested in a stand-up desk and, you know, let alone what goes on in my hips as well. So, you know, we're talking more cervical here, but as I always like to say, that accidental exercise, you know, getting people to focus on it, if you at least draw their attention to their posture. And, you know, we've mentioned this indirectly in other webinars about, you know, when you're in line at the grocery store, make sure you stand with your feet straight. So it's just now we're going up a little bit higher in the kinetic change is making people aware. If they're not aware, then they can't correct it. Looking at how they sleep with their pillows and things like that, or getting them saying, hey, wake up five to seven minutes earlier. That way you can spend a little more time in the shower and let's do these four or five stretches while you're in the shower. Just people are pretty uh, willing to adapt if you make it simple and easy for them and just give them bite-sized chunks, right? You don't have to try to solve everything day one. Just like we say, when you look at a movement compensations, what's the biggest compensation you can fix immediately? So whether it's this outside the gym, the biggest thing might be, okay, how about we invest in a stand-up desk? Because indirectly, their hips are going to be in a better position, their head and shoulders are going to be in a better position. Boom, they do that. Okay, how about we set a timer on your um, computer or your phone three times a day, you're going to stop for six minutes and go through your stretches again. So those are just some of the things that I've done. And people, when they start to feel better, they're willing to find more time to continue to feel better. And, and one thing that I did, I mean, and I actually did this yesterday to a client that came in. Um, and, and again, they, I think it's just, it doesn't matter if you're doing this virtual, it doesn't matter if you're seeing these people like in person, but I think it's putting them in proper alignment and then saying, how does that feel? They feel like they're double chinning and that they're sticking their chest out and that they, that they barely can move because it feels so awkward to them. And, um, and again, we're just looking on a lateral view, like it, where's their ear in comparison to their shoulder, to their hip, to their ankle. So again, like looking at the five kinetic chain checkpoints from the lateral view, I think once you put them in correct alignment and they feel how uncomfortable that is, but then you say that that's actually where you look the best. And then they can kind of peek in the mirror and see, well, I, I guess I don't look as weird as I feel. I think that's a big part of it. And then it's like, okay, these are the three stretches you can do. Like Marty said, three stretches at home. Here are some things when you're driving again, like I said, go to retraction, watch if you're a female and you've got your hair in a bun or a ponytail, because that will push you forward in a car. Um, you know, as Marty said that I think the pillow is a big, big one. Um, and again, if you're a stomach sleeper, which I was, <laughs> that's horrible for you. Um, you know, so trying to, you know, change your sleeping patterns. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work that has to be put into it, but you can definitely do just simple things at home that can make a huge, huge impact long-term. Yes, that is all, that is all good advice. And it saves the world from my, uh, smartphone halo invention, uh, <laughs> which may help you with the impairment, but you will definitely not look cool walking around with it. Uh, but if you want to see it, we'll talk off, uh, we'll talk offline. Uh, on social media. Are there any other takeaways? Uh, any more I, takeaways for today? 
I think the only other thing is be very careful with your exercise selection. You know, are you, do you need shrugs? Do you need upright rows? You know, do you need things over their head? You know, cause again, we're just looking at, you know, getting them healthy and keeping things at low risk. So just be careful with your exercise selection. Doesn't mean you can't do these, but they have to earn their way towards those type of exercises. And in some exercises, you know, again, biomechanically aren't the best. So just, you know, walk yourself through why you're giving somebody that exercise and is it improving a compensation or is it creating a compensation? And if you can answer that question, that usually gives you the, you know, the, which way you should head. Uh, so let me ask you this question, Marty. And I know we, uh, unless before I do that, Wendy, do you have any more takeaways? No, I mean, basically what you're seeing on the slide was, was the stuff that Marty and I had talked about too. I mean, on top of what he just said, I mean, the thing is, is when you're thinking about corrective exercise, I want you to think about it as something different than the actual workout. And so when we tell people like, Hey, if you want to feel better, you just spend like anywhere from like 10 to 15 minutes a day, just doing some stretches in the morning, getting your body in a good, good position. So therefore you're going to have a better day long-term. So people are going to have to commit, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, you know, I talk to Marty super early in the morning, sometimes when I'm headed to the gym, just try to knock some stuff out and he's always rolling and I'm in the car. And so, um, you know, again, I, we all have to make the time, but if you can limit it to 15 minutes or less then your clients and yourself will be more compliant in doing some of these things. And, you know, and again, self-care, take care of yourself first. Um, I didn't do that. And I ended up having bulging discs in my neck and, um, and I'm paying the price. And so again, now that's why this is so important to me because every night I have to do traction. I have to do my corrective programs or I feel it the next day. And, you know, and they were saying, it's gotta be surgery. It's gotta be surgery. And you know what? I haven't had to have surgery. And they told me that with my, with my case, I would, but it was taking the time, doing the right things, and then doing activation exercise to, to alleviate that bulging disc and the muscles that were compressing on my discs. Um, you know, it, it can be done without having to go under, under the knife. It's just, you have to dedicate the time to do it. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that takeaway. That's very important. Now, my question for both of you is, uh, Marty, you mentioned shrugs and people do those for various reasons. Sometimes it's aesthetic, but, uh, other times it'll be someone like a football player or martial art artist doing it so that they can keep under the, uh, uh, perception that they're going to keep their neck safer in in practice. So just think about this from a do this instead of that perspective. What are some other things uh, athletes in those areas can do to make their necks stronger? Sure. So first and foremost, as I've always said, so in case you're new to this, because uh, you haven't seen all of our roundtables, athletes do the sports because they enjoy them, not because they're safe for them orthopedically. Our job is to get them in the best condition possible so they have the least amount of stress and then they can have the least chance of injury orthopedically due to the sport that they're playing. So again, this OPT model is designed for elite sports. So nothing changes. We get them to do their correctives. We get them to do stability and strength and they've earned the right to get to those exercises. However, with certain athletes, people that have the impact and people or have to put on certain size or do heavy lifts, Yes, at some point in time, you may do a, a period of shrugs during a phase of training. Now, here's a key thing. 
most people I see doing shrugs in the gym, they've never done their correctives. They've never established stabilization. They've never progressively earned it. And then when they do the shrugs, they end up rounding their shoulders forward and shooting the head forward. It's like, oh, wow, now we're even magnifying things worse because one, that's the motion they have. And two, they're probably temporarily stronger in that where if you're going to do shrugs, you've got your core stable, you know how to chuck your chin and you're doing it with a controlled weight, with controlled tempo. You did your correctives before and you would do some correctives afterwards because yes, there are sports very important to add and or strength through your upper traps and cervical spine. Not a problem. The problem is a lot of people in the fitness or in the gym do it because they just think that it's something to do. And then they're doing it one. It's not that important for their everyday life. And two, they have a dysfunction that should take priority over it. So with that being said, I'm not saying never to do shrugs. It's just, as I kind of alluded to, why is it creating dysfunction or solving dysfunction? And if this is a football player or a mixed martial artist, absolutely earn the right to get there and do your correctives and then do some stuff afterwards and just understand you shouldn't be doing them for like, you know, a year straight without undulating your program. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes back to the assessment. I mean, to, to Marty's point, I mean, that's super, super important. As you guys saw, like if someone has forward shoulders, their pec minor is super overactive. If their head's forward, their sterno is, is forward. So yes, that's the starting position. But then think about what's happening at the shoulder complex too. So when people are also complaining about neck issues and then all, now they are like, oh, I've got rotator cuff issues, you know, try to think about, you know, just even right now, put your head as far forward as you can and round your shoulders and then try to do any kind of shrugging, you're going to feel tension that is not good. And then if you try to do any kind of overhead, anything, think about what's happening at the shoulder complex. And again, that's going to increase the chances of injury, um, no matter if you're, a, you know, a desk jockey or if you're a professional athlete. So, yeah. so the assessments, again, dictate everything. And the only other thing I can add from an exercise standpoint, and maybe it's because uh, it just comes through my feeds and maybe it's because I, I do follow a lot of martial arts. I see people putting stuff on their head and loading it. Well, okay, just let's go back to the OPT model. If you can't do little to no motion properly, you should never load a motion. So if you want to start out by strengthening your neck to achieve a higher level, let's start with isometrics in all planes of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can get, you know, do the isometrics in all planes, absolutely. Then if necessary, because you're that type of athlete, then maybe you can load that because yes, you do need, like I wrestled in high school and they had made us do neck bridges up because you truly do need an incredibly strong neck in case you're thrown, you grabbed on. We did it wrong back in the day and that's quite all right. But you know, I start with isometrics, start with stabilization and all planes of motion before you would ever attach a device and load those motions. You would you yeah. just like you would for your the rest of your core. Okay. And uh, we have a question, and uh, this I'll kick this to both of you. And this is from D. Thank you for watching, D. And uh, D says, as a climber, I suffer from belayer's neck from constantly looking up at your climber to keep them safe. What types of exercises would you recommend to combat the strain that you develop from looking up all the time? Marty, you want to take that one? 
actually the programs that we put in there because whether you have a forward head or you're looking up all time the programs we gave you are going to get you back to neutral so you know i've worked with some other professions like electricians and things like that that are always looking up so it's similar to what you're saying there so go back to the programs that uh, wendy went through and discussed nothing really changes there because we're really trying to get everybody neutral where your eyes are straight ahead of you your chins tuck chins neutral so it the programs in here will will do wonders for you. And I think also what uh, Marty brought up uh, a little bit earlier is you wanna do some uh, correctives on the front mm -hmm. and back of your activity and figure out how to weave that uh, based on what your assessments show you, uh, you wanna weave that into your, your daily, your ADLs and uh, some of your other training. Okay, so if we don't have any more questions, it looks like we are we're actually going to finish a little bit earlier today. <laughs> and uh, we are at the uh, at the top of the hour. So Wendy, tell us how we can find you. Absolutely. So you can email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on Instagram at wendybats13. And Marty. There's the email there, marty.miller at nasm.org. And then Instagram is dr.martymiller72. All right. Thanks, everyone who, uh, who joined us today. Hopefully, with this information, you will be able to better keep your head on a swivel. Uh, <laughs> have a great afternoon. Thank you, Greg, for keeping us together. And uh, we will see you next time.